Hi, I am Father Russell Pollitt from the Jesuit Institute, and you are tuned in to Radio Veritas, where we bring you the good news for a change. Right, there we go. 16 past 7 on Radio Veritas. Good morning to Father Russell Pollard. Good morning, Russell. How are you? Are you there? Yes. There you can you go. hear me? Yes, I can. Yes. There's a little bit of a um, something intermittent happening on the line, but nevertheless, you are right there. Nice to have you with us. Thank you. Russell, tell us now. I mean, I've got lots of things on my list over here about what you want to talk about and... Uh, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth now, but where would you like to start? you want to start talking about the World Day of the Poor? Yes, let's start there, because I think that's very important, and I think it's something that we often forget about. Yeah, right. Um, that's this Sunday, the 19th of November. Uh, it's the first of all, the Day of the Poor, which, which Pope Francis has actually called for. And uh, he, I think he did this at the end of the, the Jubilee year. And you know, uh, Father Emma, it's, it's very important. I was just reading recently a copy of Ronald Rollheiser's book called The Shattered Lantern, where he's talking about how to regain a real sense of God's presence. And one of the things he outlines in that book is contact with the poor, learning to be of service with the poor, that the poor teach us something about God and about the contemplative life that we would not be able to uh, understand if we, if we don't have contact with the poor, that our Christian lives somehow are depleted and deprived when we don't have uh, contact with the poor. And so the Pontifical Council for Evangelization has announced uh, a number of special events uh, that are taking place uh, throughout the week to highlight this uh, initiative by uh, Pope Francis. And on Sunday morning in St. Peter's, uh, there are apparently about 4,000 poor and needy people will be accompanied by volunteers from all over Europe, Italy, Spain, Brussels, France, Luxembourg, Poland, and will take place in a mass that Pope Francis will uh, concelebrate. And then uh, afterwards, uh, 1,500 of these visitors will go to the Paul VI uh, audience hall, and, uh, and they will be given a meal there, and they'll be served all sorts of things by what we are called uh, the papal chef. Uh, and they're going to get vegetables and veal stew and uh, gnocchi and et cetera, et cetera. And the rest of the people will be given meals in seminaries and colleges around the Vatican. About another 2,500 people will be taken to lunch in some of those uh, colleges and so forth. So, um, you know, really kind of, once again, Pope Francis, who I think in many ways is becoming known as the, as the Pope of the Poor, is, is highlighting, you know, you know, perhaps in a small way, because uh, 4,000 people are not really that many, but in a small way, the plight of many poor people in our world. Okay, and, and uh, well, what should people be doing around the world? I mean, it's the World Day of the Poor. I mean, uh, Pope Francis is highlighting what's going, to happen, what's going to be happening in Rome. Should there be something that should be happening where we are? Yeah, you know, I sometimes wonder, you know, to myself, have we moved beyond the sort of uh, kind of reaching out to the poor where we sort of collect cans of food and and we uh, and we sort of, uh, you know, hopefully give them to someone who will take them to those who are needy. I mean, it seems to me that Pope Francis is really asking us not just to collect things for the poor, but actually serve them to the poor ourselves. So let me give you an example. I know in Johannesburg and Pretoria, they're very active St. Egidio community groups. What they do is they come together, they have half an hour of prayer, 
then they make food, uh, and then they serve the food uh, to, to poor people. And sometimes the poor people don't come to them. They actually go out onto the streets and sit with people and give them something to eat and talk to them and find out about themselves uh, or their, their lives and so forth. And so I think this is very important. I think Pope Francis is not asking us to uh, do charity. Uh, do, do charity is when we collect things and give them to someone and we hope that that someone takes these things to people who are poor. But I think Pope Francis is asking us to come ourselves in direct contact with those who are needy, uh, to, to, to give to them, but also to find out something about them, to enter into a relationship with them. And I think this is also the point that Father Rollheiser makes in his book, uh, you know, that um, it's not just about giving something. It's about actively engaging with, entering into relationship with, and that uh, that brings God closer to us, and most especially when when Jesus, uh, you know, has a preferential option for the poor. It's, it's amongst the poor that Jesus uh, goes and enters into relationship, and we've been asked to do the same thing. Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, thanks for that comment. Um, it's, it's. I think it's very good that we do highlight this world day of the world day of of the poor and they were trying our parishes to do what we can and we take a bit of inspiration from pope francis exactly and you know there are parishes who do all sorts of things um mm. like i know um there's a saint Egidio group but i know in other parishes for example they have regular meals for the poor uh, saint vincent de paul reaches out to the poor and these are all good things, but I think we need to move to the next step. And that's the part I really want to highlight. We move to the next step where we're not just giving something to someone, but we're entering into relationship with them. We're finding out about them. You know, we, 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 we're, we're interested in the person and their life rather than simply just filling their stomach. Right. Okay. Okay. Well, thanks. let's move on then from there, Father Russell. You know, it's been a year now since uh, the Cardinal Burke and some of his friends raised these dubia with the Holy Father, these questions they were putting to the Holy Father. And now he's made some new appeal to the Holy Father. Any comment on that? <laughs> I get myself into trouble, Father Emil, when I talk <laughs> about this too much. <laughs> um, so it's a year, you're right, since the letter of the dubia. Um, or doubts on the, um, you know, dubia means doubts on the apostolic exhortation of Morris Letizia. And Cardinal Burke has uh, once again, in an interview, appealed to the Holy Father uh, to answer the questions in the letter. Mm. Now, you see, there's two approaches to this thing. The first one is to say, in many ways, the Pope has answered these questions. He's answered them in some of the public things he said. He's answered them in the Wednesday audiences. He's answered them on interviews in airplanes, uh, to and from international trips. And my sense is that what Burke is wanting is for the Holy Father basically to withdraw Chapter 8. And that's the only time when he's going to be happy, when he withdraws Chapter 8 of Amoris Letitia. So I, so this thing about he hasn't answered, I don't think is untrue. And I think that even people like Cardinal Muller, who have been critical of the Pope, have given some answers to these questions around uh, around the dubia. Mm-hmm. I really do believe that Cardinal Burke is playing a political game. And I know some people don't like to hear that, but he's playing a political game. And I, and I just don't see what he's... I mean, you know, in one sense, he talks about these dubia are so important because they are about the unity of the Church and the Church's sacramental practice, etc., etc., etc. But it seems to me 
that he is one of the lone voices out there with his following, of course. Mm -hmm. If one looks at the other cardinals, other senior people in Rome, other senior people in the church, he's one of the lone voices who seems to be regularly, through these interviews, sowing the seeds of dubia or doubt himself about the Holy Father and his position. Mm -hmm. And I think we need to be critical of that. Because I think that, uh, you know, Pope Francis has repeated more than once that Amoris Laetitia is not a break with the tradition of the Church, that marriage is still sacred, that marriage is, uh, you know, our, our ideal, that, uh, you know, uh, it is for life, etc., etc. And then the Pope is saying, but we do need to face the reality that for many people this is not the case that mm. for one reason or another, relationships do break down. Mm. That's not ideal either. But mm. how do we reach out to those people in which relationships have broken down and they found themselves in a secondary relationship? Mm. Do we just simply disregard, uh, you know, a good chunk of humanity, uh, you know, uh, for, for the sake of, uh, of, 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 of this? Or do we find a way, which is not ideal, do we find a way of bringing these people into the Lord. I mean, it seems to me to be a very pastoral and a very uh, a sensible approach. Mm. Uh, you know, in life we have ideals for our children. Mm. Uh, you know, we, we want our children to succeed and we want our children to do well and we want our children... And we know sometimes parents have to face up to the fact that their children, for one reason or another, fail or don't do well or, you know, become involved in things that, you know, ideally they wouldn't like. The parents don't just simply uh, throw those children out. They find a way of, 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 of you know, reaching out to them, etc., although they know it's not the ideal. And I think that's what Pope Francis is trying to do. Mm-hmm. And um, therefore, I think that Cardinal Burke is, is, is not being very helpful in the situation. And I think it's a question of seeing the wood for the trees. Mm-hmm. And I think he's, his vision is blurred. You know, I, when, I, when I read about this this controversy or this is dubia business that's going on at the moment. I, I can't help thinking of Jesus even in his day when he was confronted by the, the Pharisees, for example, in the observance of all the laws and Jesus breaking all the laws. I suppose Jesus shared some of the frustration of Pope Francis. I think you're absolutely right, Father Evil. And you know, even if you um, read Amoris Laetitia, I mean, the Pope, the Pope speaks in seven chapters before chapter eight of how important marriage is, the beauty of marriage, marriages for life, all the kind of um, ideals that we, 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 we cast upon that wonderful sacrament. I mean, you know, Pope Francis says it all, yeah. you know, in, in, in the, and in one chapter he says, okay, in seven chapters I've basically outlined this wonderful sacrament, but this chapter I have to deal with the fact that for many people, it's, it, it, it hasn't worked out for one reason or another. You know, sometimes because of sin, sometimes just simply because of the distorted or the tilted structures of life. And how do we reach out to those people? Yeah. And so, you know, it seems to me that the only, I sometimes think, and, I, and I'm sure this is not the case, but the only chapter of that book that uh, Cardinal Burke and some of his followers have read is chapter 8. They, yeah. They've missed the other seven, mm. and, I, and we have to we have to be very careful about this. Yeah, yeah. No, I think you're quite right, and I often feel that so often the critic the criticism that that is leveled against uh, our Holy Father 
uh, overlooks the, you know, the 99% of the wonderful things he says, his encouragement, his, you know, his, his reaching out to people. And, I mean, he relates so easily to people and people to him. And, and I think, you know, we got some people, unfortunately, latching onto one little thing and making that the most important thing. It's like the Pharisees and the laws. Exactly. I think there's all of that, you know, mm. and ultimately, um, you know, Paul, you mm. know, we've got to also allow God to be God, mm. right? Mm. And I sometimes wonder, you know, when we get into these kind of debates and we want absolute certainty, are we not trying to act as God? Mm. You know, and and we've got to allow God to, you know, if we believe in, in God and in a God of of love in a God who is active in our lives, in a God who's working in the world, if we believe that God's Spirit is animating people, we've got to leave some space for God and the Spirit to work as well. Mm. You know, we can't have everything neatly worked out in boxes. Life is messy. That's what Pope Francis acknowledges. Mm. These are ways we might deal with it, but ultimately we've also got to leave some of it to God. Right, yeah. Listen, we can go on and on about this, but thank you very much for those thoughts. It's always interesting to, to hear you commenting on these, on these sorts of things. Thank you very much, Russell. Russell, we've sure. got a couple of minutes left. Anything you'd like to share now? I know there's, um, uh, there's uh, Zimbabwe's on the minds of lots and lots of people, and uh, people are writing about it. I see Lawrence and Glovo has also written about this. Yes, you know, Father Emil, I think um, we kind of know that the situation there has been one that's been difficult for um, a long time. I don't, I don't want to make too much comment about it because I think that, um, you know, we, we need to see what unfolds there. But I think it's a time where, uh, you know, we're, we're noticing, we're seeing what the outcomes of uh, kind of a living in a political tension for so long has brought about. Um, and I think we need to pray as well. You know, if we think of South Africa back in 1994, we 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 know that uh, things were pretty pretty on the edge here as they are perhaps at the moment in Zimbabwe. Because I'm not entirely sure we're exactly clear what's going on there. There's various different reports. Let's pray for the people of Zimbabwe, many of whom are in our country, and let's pray that uh, whatever happens will be for the good of Zimbabwe in the long term. Mm, yes. All right, I think that's, you know, there's not much more we can say. I mean, let's leave the situation there to, to unfold, and we pray, we pray truly that it will unfold peacefully and that there will be hope for the people of Zimbabwe in the future. Indeed, and, mm. you know, the situation is very fluid, so mm. we just have to, I think, watch it and, uh, you know, mm. uh, somehow believe that uh, one way or another God will bring about what. Uh, what would be best. Mm, exactly, yeah. Okay, well, thanks for that. Anything more you'd like to share with, with regard to this or anything else? Um, I was um, thinking about uh, the Justice and Peace Commission statement on mobile clinics, which oh, I think yes. came out yesterday. Right. Um, I think that's an important one to highlight, um, that Bishop Kabuza issued a statement from Justice and Peace asking the Human Rights Commission of South Africa to investigate rights violations and deprivation of mobile clinic services in some parts of the KwaZulu-Natal and Popo Northwest provinces. Yeah. Um, he said that the health department did a good job in trying to bring basic health care uh, to people by introducing these, these mobile clinics and mobile services. 
but seems to be suggesting now that unfortunately many of these services have become dysfunctional and uh, they're not addressing the needs of these communities that they were intended for. So once again, we have a situation where a lot of money has been plowed into something, mm. but it seemingly, for one reason or another, uh, seems to have all gone uh, wrong. And he's asking them to uh, address four things, as far as I can understand. Um, uh, first of all, why in many places these mobile clinics, uh, the availability of these services has been in- in- impeded. Um, and, and communities are not uh, uh, um, benefiting from them. And apparently one of the issues is the road networks are so bad that these, that these mobile clinics can't move to places. Uh, and then he's talking about the quality of the service in the system, uh, that, there's, that there's no drugs apparently on, on, a, on a number of the, in these clinics. So they, you know, people get diagnosed, but they're unable to help uh, treat because there's, there's not the availability of, of things to treat. And interestingly, he also addresses staff rudeness that, you know, uh, these people are working in these mobile clinics. Apparently, are not treating uh, patients very well. Uh, and the and the uh, the question of budget allocation and strategic planning. Uh, apparently, there's not enough money that's given to this, and it's not being planned very well. So, once again, a good concept, but we are unable to put it into practice well to benefit people. And uh, finally, the, the, there's a huge gap apparently between uh, legislation and policy. So, what's happening in these clinics as well? Um, you know, we've got we've got policy on one side, but we've got legislation on the other, and the two are not uh, the two are not speaking well to each other. Mm-hmm. So, once again, a wonderful idea, a wonderful service to the poor, and yet because of it seems administrative mm-hmm. incompetencies, um, the service is not reaching those mm-hmm. it should. Mm-hmm. Bit of sweet and sour. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, as it's, always with these things. That's right. And it's it's sad because one would have thought that something like this would not be too difficult to set up. And to and to make work well. Right. Yes. Okay, Russell. Thank you very much for your comments. Any final word about the Jesuit Institute or anything like that? Yes, uh, Father Emil, to invite people. Uh, the invitation's been out, and I know uh, as well that uh, Radio Veritas has interviewed uh, Paddy Carney, who was the great biographer of Archbishop Dennis Hurley. Paddy just edited a book which is by Ted Rogers, a Jesuit from Zimbabwe, called "The Martyrs of Zimbabwe," which is about a number of religious people and some Jesuits who who were killed in Zimbabwe, who were martyred. Uh, And this book is being launched in Johannesburg. There's launches in various places. It's being launched in Johannesburg this coming Tuesday, the 21st of uh, November at 7 p.m. at the um, Jesuit Institute. There'll be two speakers at that launch. Um, Daniso Komalo, who is... uh, um, in charge of uh, the Dennis Hurley Peace Institute. But the other person is the current regional superior of the Jesuits in South Africa, Father David Rowan. And Father Rowan actually knew some of those Jesuits personally that were that were martyred in Zimbabwe. So that might be very interesting. Mm. Uh, uh, Paddy's also announced that the book will be uh, sold at a special rate uh, at the launch. It's, it's, its cover price is 120 but at the launch uh, they'll be selling it for 100 rand. Uh, that book has been um, put together uh, by, well, been uh, published by Cluster Publications, which is a small uh, publisher linked to uh, the University of KwaZulu-Natal and theological cluster down there. So um, anybody's welcome to come along, 7 p.m., Tuesday evening, 21st of November, at the Jesuit Institute in Auckland Park. Right, 15 Molesy Avenue, Molesy, M-O-L-E-S-E-Y, Molesy Avenue. That's correct. Right, well, there we go. Thank you very, very much for sharing with us again, Father Russell. I wish you a wonderful day, and thanks for everything you do.
Thank you, Father Emil. Have a good day as well. And you too. Thank you very much indeed. That was Father Russell Pollitt.